Hi, this is Tom Field, Editorial Director with Information Security Media Group. I'm talking today about the state of privacy. I'm talking with Trevor Hughes, the President of the International Association of Privacy Professionals. Trevor, it's a pleasure to talk with you again. Hi, good to be here. Trevor, when you look at the recent data breaches such as Epsilon, Sony, what are some of the top privacy issues that immediately come to mind for you? I think the recent data breaches tell us a lot. Um, First of all, and this perhaps sounds a little obvious, that breaches happen. They are in some ways inevitable. Um, uh, There are bad people out in the world and they are always trying to find ways to get access to data because data has increasing value in the information economy. Um, And so organizations need to make sure that they are paying attention to all of the information security demands, both technological but also legal and compliance-wise, so that they're on top of what they should be doing to prevent those breaches. But increasingly, it's clear that that's not enough. Not only do they have to be paying attention to how they are securing data, but they have to be preparing for what happens when things go wrong, or how do we use the data, period. And so increasingly organizations are using privacy professionals uh, to ensure that their post-breach response plans, where they're actually talking to consumers and regulators and congressmen and sometimes class action lawyers about what went wrong, that they've got plans in place to mitigate the amount of harm that occurs um, uh, once that breach has, uh, has, has actually happened. Now, Trevor, I know your organization has grown tremendously. That reflects the growth in the industry. What do you see as today's top privacy trends that are driving this growth? Boy, there are a number of privacy trends that are in play right now. And um, certainly the issue itself is one of the things that is growing. Privacy as a concept seems to be in the media every day. And people mean a lot of things when they say the word privacy. We see privacy come up in the context of anti-terrorism efforts. We see privacy come up in social media, mobile platforms, location-based privacy. I think what we're seeing is the rapid progression of technologies in the information economy exceeding our current system of laws and regulations, and in some cases, societal norms, how we expect we will deal with data, um, all of those are being pressured by the advance of technology. And so in that gap, the delta between that leading edge of technology and where our legacy systems for controlling technologies are, um, that delta creates instability. That, that, that gap creates instability. And so I think for a long time to come, we are going to see this issue continue to explode. We're going to see it in regulatory branches. We're going to see it online. We're going to see it in mobile platforms. We're going to see it in everyday life. Privacy is going to become something that we have to pay more and more attention to. You mentioned the term regulatory, and I know there have been some regulatory and legislative issues that have come up. Which ones do you see as creating, I guess turbulence is the word to use, regarding privacy? Yeah, I think turbulence is a great word to use. Um, 
In fact, uh, we could look at many of the major jurisdictions around the world, the major markets around the world, um, and there are new or revised privacy laws and regulations in play. So let's just do a really quick global survey of what's happening. In the European Union, they have an e-privacy directive which is being implemented, which has some tremendously challenging standards for uh, uh, relatively ubiquitous technologies like cookies, which are creating real headaches for organizations. Um, the broad-based European privacy law, the EU Data Protection Directive, is currently under review and there's significant debate about what that should look like in this new era. Um, in Canada, PIPIDA, their major piece of privacy legislation is being reviewed. In the United States, we have a number of bills that have been dropped in Congress. We have hearings that are occurring, it feels like, almost every week, certainly one this week, one last week, where privacy is the main topic of conversation. And even outside of, of uh, Congress, we have the Department of Commerce, the Federal Trade Commission, the SEC, Health and Human Services, the brand new Consumer Finance Protection Bureau, all claiming a piece of turf when it comes to privacy, um, and all discussing what the new standards in privacy should be. Throw into the mix for global organizations the fact that Mexico has a new privacy law, Brazil's working on one, India just passed one, and you have a, a recipe for um, a, a, again, a very unstable and turbulent regulatory environment where organizations that operate globally, and one of the things that we see that is increasingly true in this era of globalization is that pretty much everybody, if they are online in some form, um, has some connection to global commerce. Um, that global environment uh, is incredibly difficult to navigate, figuring out a safe path through all of that is really a job for someone who can assess uh, hundreds of different variables um, and, and distill them down into the best, safest, and most secure way for an organization to move forward. You talked about the ubiquity of cookies, and I get the sense that there's a greater sensitivity to cookies today as well. What are your thoughts on them? So, you know, cookies are an issue that have been debated for over a decade. Um, and in some ways, uh, it, it feels a little like Groundhog Day because many of the arguments that are being made t today uh, were made 10 years ago or even 15 years ago uh, when cookies were first introduced. But it's different. Um, it's, it's pretty significantly different today. It's different for two reasons. One, um, because of some of the existing controls on cookies, the marketplace has actually moved towards different types of, of, of global unique identifiers of, of state management tools, um, and I'll talk about those in just a sec. The other thing that's different is that the regulators have gotten a bit more aggressive and some of the technologies have gotten a little bit more excessive uh, or aggressive. So l let me cover all three of those areas first. Um, uh, it's not just cookies anymore. Uh, notably, uh, Adobe with Flash just came out with some new updates where now Flash cookies, um, uh, locally stored objects with, uh, under Flash, are now managed in some of the cookie controls in browsers. There's been a lot of criticism about so-called Flash cookies not being subject to many of the cookie controls that exist within browsers um, uh, or elsewhere. But it's not just Flash cookies. 
Um, there are uh, many different ways of identifying devices now. And I think there's a concern that perhaps cookies are, I don't know, like rotary dial telephones. They're almost quaint now um, because of some of the much more significant ways that organizations have to identify devices. So-called super cookies or IP address targeting are creating some real challenges. When we look to what the regulators are doing, uh, European Union has passed a law which, uh, there's some debate on this, ostensibly says you have to get consent before you set any cookie or identifying device. That would suggest that you've got to get an opt-in. Think about a pop-up box for every cookie coming up on your system. Um, however, in, in that e-privacy directive, the, the European Union indicated that browser controls may be sufficient. So if your browser was set to accept cookies, that could be a proxy for consent. Add to that the fact that the European, uh, sorry, that the UK Data Protection Commissioner just came out with an opinion that in fact browser controls may not be sufficient, and you have an enormous amount of confusion in the marketplace. And we step one step further, and we talk about the technologies. We are seeing more and more robust cookie controls um, and and identifier controls in all of the major browser releases. Um, uh, uh, certainly, uh, Explorer is, is uh, very active in this space. Safari blocks third-party cookies in a default setting. Um, but we're also seeing the implementation of the Do Not Track header, um, and that's creating some, some really interesting questions. Now, that, that sort of goes beyond cookies to online behavioral advertising, um, but this issue of cookies is sort of... Uh, um, uh, it, it is the prow of the ship. It's that bowsprit on the ship that breaks the water first, but there's a lot of stuff that comes behind it. Uh, and I think, uh, like many privacy issues, this is not going away anytime soon. Trevor, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about the recent uh, controversy that's come up with, with Apple regarding, I guess you'd say, person tracking with the, uh, the iPhone and the iPad. What are your thoughts on that? You know, it seems to me that... Um, there, uh, there are real risks for organizations out there today. Um, and, and you can certainly knowingly violate privacy law or the expectations of privacy uh, of your consumers um, in, a, in a cynical way. I don't think that's what happened here with Apple. I don't think there was an intent to do anything inappropriate or that would uh, violate the trust of, of Apple's customers. But that's not to say that something um, uh, concerning did not occur. Um, in some ways, I think that aha or gee whiz moment is just as threatening to an organization. Um, uh, uh, Apple probably had an engineer who probably realized that there was value in creating a record of the, the wireless tower hits from devices for all sorts of purposes, for um, for logging, for, for, for optimization of, of call quality, all sorts of things could have, could have been benefits derived from this. But, but as much as I believe that that's the case, that it was an innocent um, decision to, uh, uh, to implement this, um, this tracking mechanism, I also think that there was a lack of awareness or understanding of the potential privacy issues. And that's the thing that I think we have to change in the future. 
I think engineers generally, IT professionals broadly, information security professionals for sure, are going to have to have issue spotting abilities when it comes to um, privacy so that when that opportunity comes up in a line of code or in the implementation of a new product or service or hardware system um, where, where a particular piece of data may be collected or gathered, um, they may not have the, the, the ultimate answer to whether it's okay or not, but they know enough that there's a question. So, um, you know, I think, I, I think Apple, uh, given the enormous strength of its brand and the customer loyalty that they have, they get the benefit of the doubt from their customers in a lot of these situations. I think without that kind of um, brand magnetism, other, other companies don't, don't have that same kind of benefit of the doubt and so need to be even more cautious. But I think it speaks to a larger issue in the marketplace, and that is, in many ways, we all have to become privacy professionals at some level. We all have to have a broad environmental awareness of how data can create risks for our organization. Trevor, there have been a number of class action lawsuits that have, have come under scrutiny. What can you tell us about the rise of these legal actions? Um, well, I can tell you it's rising. <laughs> I can tell you that uh, just like legislation seems to be exploding right now, just like regulatory action seems to be exploding right now, we are seeing class action lawsuits really proliferating around the United States right now. Um, we're also seeing some pretty significant settlements in some of these. Notably, Facebook settled for, I believe, $6 million um, uh, in a class action lawsuit. Uh, Google uh, settled uh, a settlement on Buzz, their social networking platform, um, for I believe 13 million. There, there are um, millions of dollars of settlements that are out there in the class action space. But let me give you a sense of the rise of these class actions. Um, in California, there was a privacy lawsuit against Williams Sonoma. Uh, in California, there is a law that says you cannot gather. Uh, additional personal information at the point of sale in a retail establishment if it's unnecessary for conducting the transaction. This is meant to be a mechanism to protect consumers from uh, identity theft. You don't want to create extraneous data um, that can be attached to, um, uh, to those point of sale records. Well, Williams-Sonoma was asking for zip code, um, and they were asking for zip code um, for the same kind of marketing reasons that most retailers at a point of sale ask for zip code, and that is to understand where their customers are coming from in any one store so that they can more appropriately target um, their marketing efforts based on that, that data. The California Supreme Court found that that zip code was personal information and said that therefore it violated the law, um, and Williamson-Sonoma was liable for, for damages and for fines under that law. Within a couple of weeks of that case being uh, decided by the California Supreme Court, we had over 100 class action lawsuits filed against retailers in the state of California. Um, that, that demonstrates to me that um, there is a, uh, a, a very significant and energized group of plaintiff's attorneys who are looking at this space very, very carefully and recognizing that there is enormous consumer concern 
around privacy and that if they can find the right legal arguments the right way to to identify damages there will be continued significant activity when it comes to class action lawsuits. Now Trevor you have the opportunity to see any number of organizations internationally what do you see the best-in-class organizations doing regarding privacy? You know, I think the best-in-class organizations are recognizing that compliance is not enough. Um, there's, a, I, there's a story that goes around startups. I, I'm, I'm a lawyer, and, and tech startups seem to have a process where they get to a certain number of employees, and the CEO says, um, uh, gosh, we're spending so much on outside legal bills, we need to hire ourselves a general counsel. And so they get their first in-house lawyer. But instead of having their legal bills go down, their legal bills actually go up because that first person in the door, um, that first lawyer, sees all of the legal issues that were not being dealt with before that that, that no one with legal training could, could see within the organization. I think we're seeing that same kind of trajectory on privacy, that increasingly organizations are hiring their first privacy professional um, and that privacy professional is coming in and pretty quickly full teams are being built. But the best in class are going beyond that now to see privacy as not just a compliance obligation but really a, a, a business imperative that goes beyond legal obligation. Privacy is an issue that's very intimately tied to the, the trustworthiness of the brand um, of your organization. And so if your customers don't trust your privacy, they don't trust you. And that has implications far beyond just the law. It has real implications for your business. But even more than that, we're seeing best-in-class organizations pick up ideas like privacy by design, which is championed by a woman named Anne Kalukian, who is the privacy commissioner of Ontario. Uh, privacy by design is similar to some thinking in the information security field over a decade ago that you bake privacy in as products and services are being developed as opposed to bolting them on after the fact, because inevitably it's more expensive to bolt them on than it is to think about them up front and, and put it in in a in a in a win-win kind of way. Um, additionally, organizations are embracing a concept of accountability when it comes to privacy, so that yes, you comply with the law, but you also you 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 own up to the fact that you have people's data in your possession, and when you hold that data, you're accountable for that data. You look after it. You do the right thing with it. You make sure that even if the law says that you can do something, it doesn't mean that it's right to do something with the data. And you have experts on staff who um, help you take those nuanced positions uh, really for the betterment of the organization long term. Trevor, we've talked about so much today. It's clear that the issues have never been greater. The stakes have never been higher. The opportunities have never been more numerous for someone wanting to enter the profession. So my final question for you is, what advice would you offer to somebody who wants to be a privacy professional today? So the good news is is that um, uh, privacy has been growing phenomenally. Um, and for anyone interested in entering the field, um, uh, unlike a lot of other areas in the economy, privacy professionals are being hired. Um, 
it is uh, not the easiest profession to just stand up and say, I want to be a privacy professional, though. I think, uh, like a lot of other jobs, a, lo a lot of other professions, you've got to immerse yourself in the field. And I think the easiest way to do that is to get into all of the information that's produced by organizations like the IAPP. Our website, privacyassociation.org, is a great place to start. But you also have to meet other privacy professionals. So start networking. We have local chapter meetings. That's certainly a good place. There are privacy conferences that occur all over the world. Um, you could consider training. Um, there are very, very few privacy programs in higher education institutions in the U.S. Uh, there are some privacy law classes at law schools, some information privacy programs in, in um, uh, computer science programs and things. But really one of the primary mechanisms is through certification, and that's the Certified Information Privacy Professional. That's the designation that's recognized across the country. Um, and then, I, you know, I think uh, scouring job boards, uh, talking to privacy pros, doing your networking, making sure that you're up on the issues, those are all the, 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 the probably the normal but also the most effective ways to find your way into the privacy profession. And, you know, let me just finish by, it's a good place to be. Um, it really is an incredibly hot issue. Privacy professionals are growing as the issue grows. To give you a sense of scale, on January 1st of 2009, the IAPP had 5,000 members around the world. On December 31st of 2010, 24 months later, we had 7,500. So in the 24 months of the worst economic cycle, certainly in our lifetimes and in many generations, in fact, um, the IAPP grew by 50%. Um, that's pretty phenomenal, 25% per year over that economic period. Um, and I think it's an indication of, of really the growth potential of this field, um, and it really suggests that it is a good place for a lot of people to be looking for, uh, for future professional opportunities. Trevor, as always, I appreciate your time and your insight. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. We've been talking about the state of privacy been talking with Trevor Hughes, the president of the International Association of Privacy Professionals. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.